Have you ever seen one of those history actors? I remember as a kid, gosh, this is a very vague memory, but I don't even remember what grade I was in, but we went to see one of these historical actors, and um, I'm just going to go out on a limb. I think it might have been Abraham Lincoln, but it was a, you know, it was someone that was really well-known, and so it's a person who kind of looks like this historical figure and they're dressed like this historical figure and they um they do a monologue and then they answer questions as if they are the person right i remember you know i don't remember a lot but i remember seeing this this uh presentation and it was really fascinating you know it was so much different than reading about this person in a book or even seeing pictures or even seeing a documentary. It was like interacting. It was interacting. It was so interactive, right? It was different. It's different when you're interacting. I mean, obviously it was not the real person, but it was someone who had researched and someone who knew this historical figure really well and could answer questions. I mean, off the cuff. It was pretty cool. I think sometimes that's what it's like with Jesus. That's who Jesus is for us too. Jesus put on flesh, right? He made himself he came he came into the world, made himself visible, tangible, and still does for us today, I believe. Jesus leaps off the pages of the Bible. Jesus is someone we can interact with. A representation of God. That's what scripture says. Jesus is the Word. That's what I want to talk about today. Hey guys, we are in the second part of a series called Hearing God. And today we're going to talk about the Bible. Uh, last time we just talked about kind of what to expect when hearing God. And this time we're going to talk about the part that the Bible plays in hearing God and coming to hear God for ourselves, coming to know God for ourselves, right? This is the Construction Monk Podcast. I'm your host, Jay Randall Ori, and thank you for joining me. I am a spiritual director, a teacher of contemplation, and a carpenter, which means I am like a monk in the normal mode of everyday life. You know, I'm a contemplative, which is what monks practice, is what monks are, which means uh, I seek to know God personally, to interact with God. But I'm also a carpenter, which just means I live a normal life. I don't live in a monastery. I don't have uh, the environment of the monk. I'm in the normal environment of everyone else. So that's why I'm a construction monk. All right. So, do you read the Bible? Sorry. (laughs) I just... I think I got a, I caught a spider or something. Okay. It fell into my hair, I thought. I'm out on the trails this morning, as usual, and it's um, summer is in full swing, and so I'm also swinging a stick to catch the spider webs, and I thought a spider fell into my hair. So, yeah, you know, the birds are chirping. It's early morning. It's beautiful. Still a little cool. Not too bright. It's nice to be out. Right now, the um, there's lots of things blooming, and I think it's especially the uh, honeysuckle. It's just a sweet fragrance in the air. Oh, man, it is the honeysuckle. It's so good. 
Anyway, uh, do you read the Bible? I'm sure you probably do, to, you know, to some degree. You know, my wife, uh, I, I watch my wife and her Bible reading habits, you know. She, sometimes she's very dedicated. And sometimes she goes long periods without reading the Bible. Um, when I was in 10th grade, I attended a CIY conference. And at that conference, there was a group of college kids who, I guess this was their, like, summer mission to encourage high schoolers to read the Bible. And they came and talked to us. I don't remember much, but I remember that they challenged us to commit to read the Bible every day. And I did. In 10th grade, I started reading the Bible every day. By the time I was in my 20s, I'd read the Bible a lot. I've read the Bible over a hundred times now. And now, um, I'm, I'm reading through, I've been reading through this time. Uh, it's been, it's been a long read through because this time I'm doing something where I read. Oh yeah, there's a spider on my stick. One, two, two spiders. <laughs> hey. I'm walking with the spiders this morning. Um, now I read, I sit with a chapter. Like when I first started reading in 10th grade, I would read a chapter a day, right? And you can get pretty far that way. Uh, that's, that, the, uh, the commitment wasn't, I don't think, to read a chapter a day from this group. But I, but I decided that was what I was going to do. And that's what I did. And now I sit with a chapter I would say I probably read almost a chapter a week. So what I do is I read the chapter over and over and over, and I sit with it, and I I contemplate it, and I try to really just spend time in the text. And that's pretty cool. You know, I've read it through. You know, when I first started reading the Bible, it was information, right? It was data. And then, of course, I went to Bible college, and it was a textbook, right? You know? I remember in high school, I was the Bible nerd. I've, um, in fact, <laughs> I carried my Bible to school. I think, um, I want to say I was challenged to do that as well, or I decided to do that as a witness. I actually also started a Bible club. This was kind of fun. It was kind of controversial because... Um, I'm, I'm trying to remember the details, but... Uh, teachers weren't allowed to lead a Bible study at, at school. I guess it was against the law or something. Well, yeah, they weren't allowed to promote a certain religion, right, or a certain religious view. But students could start uh, a Bible study like a club because it was just that was part of the school rules. You could have clubs, right, and students could start clubs. And so I started a Bible club. I had to have a teacher sponsor, you know, but they couldn't teach. There was like some kind of rules. Like they could be there. They couldn't teach. They couldn't add their own opinion. They couldn't do, you know, they just had to be there because you had to have a teacher sponsor. So I got a teacher sponsor. my math teacher, Mr. Peters, and I started a Bible club. And we would meet, I think, one morning a week. And I would lead. And I had another friend from my high school youth group that would lead. I'm stopping every once in a while because I'm feeling the spider webs, even though my stick catches them. 
they kind of come back on me. So I'm like, I have to drop my stick because I'm holding my recording device. <laughs> this is fun. Um, yeah, so I started, I even started a Bible club and I would carry my Bible to to, to school. Man, it is so spiderwebby this morning. I'm catching them everywhere. Anyway. I would carry my Bible to school. I was known at school for that. I was known as this, you know, ultra-dedicated, serious Christian person. Everybody knew I was a Christian, right? I carried my Bible. I said, yeah, that's, the, that's the other thing. I didn't just carry my Bible to school. I set it on my desk every, every class. It was right there. I remember my history teacher one time came up to me and he's like, you bring your Bible to school. Make sure you bring it tomorrow. And I was like, okay, this is interesting. And so I brought it the next day and he, he said, hey, I want to borrow your Bible. And he read something from the Bible and he said, this is a history book. And he kind of, I thought, that's really cool. It is a history book. It's not just a religious text. It is a history book. Um, I thought that that was really neat. Like the the Bible has been different things for me at different times in my life, right? It's been information, data, textbook, and now um, I read it very differently than I did, you know, as a teenager, as in, in my twenties, in my thirties, in my th- when I was twenty nine, I went back to Bible college. I went to Bible college out of high school in my when I was nineteen, and then back when I was twenty nine. So. You know, but it's interesting, when I was 29, I had a different perspective as well. By the time I was 29, I was coming to some different conclusions. When I was 19 going to college, um, in fact, I remember this, like, you know, I, you had to memorize scripture as a part of some of your classes in Bible college, which is part of it. Well, when I was 29, I went back to Bible college, and I had a class, I think it was Old Testament, um, I forget what it was called, it was... Old Testament survey, that's what it was called. And so once a week we had to memorize the scripture and go and find the professor in his office and and um, regurgitate it, right? Well, I didn't. I wouldn't. I didn't want to. Like, on principle, I didn't. I, th- I thought, you know, I, I was, by the time I went back to Bible college, I was like, this is not my textbook. I'm not going to treat this like a textbook. This, these are the words of life, not the words that get me an A on the test. <laughs> <laughs> and so halfway through the semester, though, I was like, you know, I shouldn't just be not doing this part of the class, you know, homework. I should go. I should also go and explain to my professor why I'm not doing it. Because, you know, if I'm not doing it, he's just going to think I'm lazy, right? Instead of he's not going to think I'm doing it on some principle, which is why I was doing it. You know, I, and I'm not saying that was I was right to not do it. You know, it counted for maybe 15% of our grade, 10%. I don't remember. So I went to him halfway through the semester. Uh, his name was uh, Dr. Gerwood. Amazing guy. He, um, he was fluent in, like, Greek, Hebrew, Aramaic. Like, he, he was just a very, very smart guy, but also very humble, just a really kind person. Anyway, I went to Dr. Gerwood, sat in his office, and I explained to him why I was not going to memorize Scripture. How I, it was on principle. I didn't feel like, I didn't want to treat it with irreverence, right? I didn't want to treat it like a textbook and 
Uh, so on principle, I wasn't going to do the memorization assignment because it wasn't a grade for me. <laughs> it was, so by the time I was you know, in my early 30s, I was also viewing the Bible differently too. It was the thing that was helping me know God more, not the thing that was going to get me an A in a class. And he, he listened. He listened patiently. He said, I think I understand, but I would appreciate it if you would tr- make an attempt to do some of the the memorization assignment by the end of the semester. You know, I, I would like that. Even though you don't agree, it's still an assignment. <laughs> and I didn't. And I don't, well, I don't know what grade I got. But I think he, at least he knew, and I think he respected my reasons. You know, he was actually uh, not just a very smart person. He was a very godly person. He was uh, one of the f- few professors that I felt really... Um, that really had a spiritual perspective towards God and the Bible, which is what I want to talk about, right? Man, I've had I've had all these different relationships with the Bible throughout my Christian journey. You know, it was a challenge when I was a teenager. It was, um, uh, it was a textbook when I was in my twenties at college. In my 30s, it was beginning to teach me how to know God. In my 40s now, it continues to be that for me. But I would say in my 40s, I've come to meet the person of the Bible, the persons of the Bible, and I've come to see the Word as living and active, as Scripture says, as the Logos as the one through whom all things are created. Did you ever stop to realize that the Word of God is not a book? It's a person. Jesus is called the Word in John. The Holy Spirit is called the living Word, the Word living and active. You know, and in John, uh, I think it's John 14, Jesus makes it clear that, that like everything He has comes from the Father, and goes through him to the Spirit. And there's, so, like, it's not exclusive to Jesus or the Holy Spirit, but the Father is also, also participates as truth. Like, that's what I've come to realize in, throughout all my different relationships with the Bible. I finally come to a place where I realize that God is my Bible. God is the living Word. And the written Word has led me to have a relationship with the living word like the bible is not the word of god i stand alone on the word of god the b-i-b-l-e oh the b-i-b-l-e yes that's the word for me i stand alone on the word of god the b-i-b-l-e <laughs> you remember that as a as a kid learning that song the bible is not the word of god does that surprise you the bible is has some words of God, okay? Has some words of God. It's not the word, the word. The Bible, which we call often the word of God, says that it's not the word of God. It says that Jesus is the word, the Logos. It says the Holy Spirit is the word, the living and active truth. It says that he's a, like a, sh- a sword, piercing, a piercing sword, dividing between bone and marrow, spirit and soul, right? That pierces us. There is this, 
Well, I, I don't know if you've ever heard this. We, in, in the United States, our Constitution, people call it a living document, right? And some people, like there's this uh, wrangle between the conservatives and the liberals, and the conservatives want to uh, interpret it strictly. They don't view it as a living word. They view it as a unchangeable document. And we need to... And there, the conservatives in political conservatives in my country are always decrying the need to get back to the original, the founding intent of the founding fathers. And, and you know, they, they decry the fact that we have kind of gone too far afield from this document. But the liberals are always say, well, it's a living document. It was never meant to kind of moor us and anchor us in this place and time and this, these ideas. Like, like, these ideas are great, but they were meant to be interpreted and reinterpreted for our times. Always afresh, always anew. And the, I think the same is true with the living Word of God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the Father. It's a living Word, which means that though God is unchanging, God is also ever new. Unchanging, ever new. Or I, sometimes I say, never changing, always new. Like, there is this paradoxical dynamic to the truth of God that it is unchanging God never changes and we can count on God being the same forever and ever and ever for eternity and yet God also is ever new which means that God's expression of God's truth still meets us anew every morning just like his mercies are new every morning right there is this new expression of God's never changing truth and so like there is this idea that God's truth is interactive and we interact with it and it's not this set in stone unchangeable thing it it's something that we change to and changes us and of course the core truth of who God is doesn't change but um as it changes us it also expands our understanding and it can fit Every circumstance and every time, right? I don't know if you've heard of the Amish. Um, I think this might be an American phenomenon. So it was like, I think in the 1840s or so, the Amish, um, it's a group of, it's a Christian sect, and it's a group of people that kind of decided to kind of isolate themselves from the rest of the world, and they decided to stop um, moving forward with technology, they, they just, I don't know why they felt like technology was bad. It was um, leading culture in a bad way. So they stepped out of culture and they decided, they put their stake in the ground and they said, this is where we're going to stay. We're not going to move forward with culture, with this secular world culture, which isn't of God. We're going we're gonna to create our own little tiny cultural bubble and so they still, at least they attempt to operate today as they would have in the 1840s. Which, you know, it's pretty cool in some ways. Like, they, they, they're great furniture builders and they, you know, they're great craftsmen because they work with their hands and they use hand tools, right? But they have not moved forward. You know, they've kind of said God wants us, God doesn't want us to adapt. God is unchanged. Like they've really embraced the part of God that is unchanging, but they haven't embraced the part of God that's ever new. And sometimes we do the same with scripture. We just think it's, you know, 
we don't what what I'm saying is with scripture we think it's just the words on the page and everything that's in the bible is everything we need to know but actually the word of god is a person living and active and much bigger than the bible so what is the purpose of the bible when it comes to hearing god and knowing god this is the best metaphor i have ever come up with I think the Bible is a picture book. It's like a photo album of God, right? God's like, here, I'm going to give you a photo album of me so you can see what I look like. But guess what the purpose of this photo book is? So that we can begin to recognize God for ourselves in the world around us, right? Like, We might think that God is in the Bible, and the Bible is where we find God. But the Bible is actually a guidebook, a picture book, a photo album, so that we can learn to see what God is like, so that we can learn to see God in our own lives, in our own day, in our own time. There's this cool scripture. um, I don't have this looked up, but I love the scripture. God says, I do nothing but that I don't first reveal it to my prophets. Right? Like God's like, I've got these special people. Although I think we all have this available to us because we have the Holy Spirit. But he's like, hey, I'm always... And Jesus even said, my father is always at work till this day. Scripture says, behold, I do something new. God says, I, be, I do something new. Like, there's this idea that, yeah, God's unchanging. But like, God's always doing new things. And God's work is always continuing. And God's kingdom is always building and growing and advancing. And we're called into that kingdom. And so we're called to be able to recognize God Not just in the scripture, but in our world right now. Because God is not just in the Bible. God is in our world right now doing things. And so we need to begin to recognize God for ourselves in our own world. In our own lives. That's the purpose of the Bible. I I think that is the purpose of scripture. To begin to recognize God for ourselves. It's a picture book. It's a guide. It's a map. It tells us what God is like. It, it gives us stories of people that knew God and knew how to hear God. Like the Bible, you know, have you ever thought, stopped to think the Bible wouldn't exist if people didn't know how to interact with God outside of a text, right? Did you ever think about that? So we have the Bible because people knew God. So it, we know it's possible but sometimes we don't think it's possible for us or we don't think we have the time or we, we think it's a special kind of calling, but it's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, I and the Father are one and I want my followers to be one as we are one. I mean, Jesus didn't just say we should be like the people who wrote the scriptures and have, you know, he actually said you, sh- you should be like me, like even more so. I have a perfect connection with God. And I want you to have that perfect connection and be growing into that connection. And that's a good, you know, I think I'll jump to this scripture now. I have a few scriptures looked up. This one is 1 Timothy. I think it's chapter 3. But let's go there. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) I'm skipping around here. Okay. There's an airplane. Hello, airplane. I'll, I'll kind of go... I have the whole chapter 3 of second. It's Second Timothy, sorry. I forgot there was two Timothys. 
I've been I've spent I've been in a lot a long time in the Old Testament, so I haven't been back in that. I just got into the Book of Acts now, which is really fun. But I've been spending so much time in each chapter, right? Reading through, so I've pro- I've probably this time through the Bible. I would now that I think about it, I've probably been reading through the Bible three or four years now because I'm going so slow, which is a lot of fun. But this is Second Timothy chapter three. I'll go straight to this verse and then I think we'll backtrack. You probably have heard this verse used. It says, this is 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. All scripture is God-breathed, right? So we have this idea that, oh my goodness... I'm in the orchard over here, but there's always, every Saturday morning, there's this loud, like, mechanical banging. And I'm like, what is someone doing at 7 o'clock in the morning making such a racket? <laughs> and why? Anyway, um, we hear this a lot, you know. It's all scriptures, God breathed. So we have this idea when it comes to the Bible that the Bible is the word of God and, and, and uh, conservative, some conservative elements of, of the Christian church say, it's the inerrant word of God, right? We have this great rev- we do have this great reverence for Scripture, and that's good, right? I wouldn't say that at all. I wouldn't, I wouldn't denounce that at all. We should have a reverence for our sacred text, and it is. All right, so we have this verse, all Scripture is God-breathed. And so, um, like, you know, I've been to Bible college, and so this word God-breathed, of course, you know who, who the God-breath is, right? You know who the God-breath is? The Holy Spirit, the word for spirit is, in the Greek, is phenuma. It means wind or breath. It's like this idea. And, and of course, um, Scripture tells us the spirit is like the wind. You don't know where it comes from or where it goes. Right? There's this idea that the spirit is a wind. You can't see it, but you can feel it, right? There's this ethereal nature to the spirit. And in this particular passage, this idea that Scripture is God-breathed, like the imagery of the words of the original Greek, is this idea of a river uh, that that when people were writing scripture, they were carried along by the Holy Spirit, in a sense. So I, I like that imagery, right? Like there was this, like it, it, the Spirit was moving them to write, and so you know we can think. Man, because because we have such a sacred and kind of special uh, um, concept of of scripture, and it's sacred to us. We think so. We think the writers of scripture must also be special, right? Special people with a special connection. Scripture was God breathed, and there were p- certain people who had this special connection to God, but we don't, and so, and we can't. But that's not what scripture says. But I think because we elevate Scripture, we also elevate its writers. That's what I'm saying. But also, because sometimes we elevate Scripture to the point of being a fourth person of the Trinity, right? It, we, we put the written text, Scripture, on par with the Trinity. But it's not. You know, we... We make it a, in a sense, we make it a god. We make it, we make it our god. We um, instead of a touchstone to God, we make it our god. Like we we call it, uh, 
the Word of God. I think that's very indicative of our attitude towards Scripture. Because it's not the Word of God. Jesus is called the Word. The Holy Spirit is called the Living Word. Like, it's a living Word, which means that the Bible is very useful, as Paul says in 1 Timothy, for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness. It says, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So it's like, hey, Scripture is beneficial, right? It can do things for us. It can help us. But let's back up. I want to back up. Uh, I'm not sure how far back I want to go. Let me see here. Well, he starts with chapter 3. He starts out in chapter 3 talking about the end times and how people will be... Let's see. I'm not trying to skip to this one. Well, here's a good part. Verse 7. They will be always learning but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. It says they will be lovers... I think... I'm trying to find this part. Lovers of themselves. Oh yeah, it says they will gather around them. I'm trying to find this part. Uh, there's this part where it says they will gather around them people that just tell them what they want to hear. It says deceiving and being deceived. Uh, this That could be a different... Anyway, um, it says, and verse 14, this is the verse right before, or two verses before the section that says, all scripture is God breathed. It says, this is Paul writing to Timothy. This is a letter to Timothy, right? Timothy was a leader at a church. Paul's writing to encourage him. He says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know these, those from who you learned it. And how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And then he says all Scripture is God-breathed. This is kind of interesting. He introduces two other things here in this passage. He says, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of. He's, Paul said, you learned. And he says, because you know those from who you learned it, right? So he first, he kind of starts out, if we just take this, the one scripture, we think, oh, scripture is, we need scripture to teach us, right? But in verse 14, Paul says, no, you learn from people. Like, yeah, you learn from scripture, but you also, first you learn from people. And then he says that the holy scriptures, which you've been taught, which through you, through which you've been taught by others, are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So he introduces then he introduces Christ. And then he comes back to the fact that Scripture came from God and is, is helpful and useful for teaching us. But, but there's, two other, there's two other elements in the learning, right? There's human teachers and then there's faith in Christ. There's a relationship with Christ and there's a relationship with others which also incorporate Scripture. You know, this really reminds me, this is pretty cool because I think this is exactly where we get this tricycle model. Uh, this was taught to me by one of my spiritual mentors, uh, Richard Rohr. Not, not a personal mentor, but I've just, I read and read and I listen to him talk. And, but he has this thing called the tricycle model. Uh, and he says, this is what moves us along in our spiritual journey. The tricycle has three wheels. 
one back wheel. There's two, one big wheel, a front wheel, and one, two small back wheels. One back wheel is scripture. One back wheel is tradition. The front wheel is experience. And I think this is exactly what this, what this passage is really pointing to when it comes to our spiritual journey. The vehicle that moves us along has three wheels. One wheel is scripture. One wheel is tradition. But one wheel is experience. So this is exactly what this verse points to. That one wheel, because all scriptures God breathed, right? But it says Timothy learned, uh, even was even taught about scripture from people. That would be more like tradition, right? Tradition is what people have thought about scripture. Tradition is how people have expounded the scripture and what they've thought. And so, you know, think think commentaries and just theology and, and even devotionals and your favorite Christian writer or C.S. you know, people like C.S. Lewis. When people, thinkers, Anselm and Occam and uh, just different theologians throughout history, like, right, these people have taken scripture and they've, they've uh, tried to expound upon it, right? That's tradition. Tradition is, you know, what denominations think and creeds and like doctrines and just... It's come from Scripture. These are people trying to teach us about Scripture. So there's Scripture, there's tradition, which is people teaching us, which is what he, uh, Paul mentions in his letter to Timothy. But then there's experience, right? Faith in Christ Jesus. Or we have a relationship with Jesus. And that's the big front wheel. And it also is the wheel that steers. So needs all, we need all three wheels. You remove one of the three wheels and you're not going anywhere. Right? We need scripture, we need tradition, we need people to teach us about scripture, and then we also need a relationship with God ourselves. That's the front wheel. All three of these together lead us in our journey. But here's, I think, part of the issue. We often only have the one wheel. We're trying to ride a unicycle when, we, when what we're actually on is a tricycle. <laughs> we're trying to ride a unicycle of scripture. Well, Scripture says, and that's all I need. The Bible says it. I believe it. That settles it. I see this. This is the. I see this kind of message repeated over and over on church marquees, and I hear it. I hear it all the time, repeated to me. Well, the Bible says, and I, you know, when I start talking to people about knowing God and mysticism, and they're like, "No, we just need." That's crazy talk. You don't know. Like, don't talk to me about knowing the Bible. Or, I mean, don't, don't talk to me about what God spoke to you, right? Well, look, I'm just continuing in the thing that breathed the Bible into life in the first place. God breathed through people, truth. Like, well, I guess, you know, one of my questions is, we believe God breathed through people, truth, and we have the Bible. But then... We don't believe that God can do it anymore. What happened? You know, the truth is it's safer sometimes just to hold our scriptures. And sometimes it also affirms our egocentric desire to be in control of truth. We have the truth. It's in our hands. We can hold it. It's black and white. But you know what you really have? If you if you believe that the Bible, if, you, if you're trying to ride the unicycle of God's truth, let's just say, the reality is you don't just have the Bible. You have your own understanding. You have your pastor's understanding. You have your denomination's understanding. You're still participating in 
at least the, the second wheel, because people have taught you. Don't forget that people have taught you what Scripture means. You didn't grab a Bible out of the womb, start reading, and that's it. It's just you and the Bible. It's not just you and the Bible. <laughs> it's you, the Bible, and teachers. And if you have human teachers, why not have a divine teacher? That's the front wheel. The front wheel is you experience things yourself. And like that's just something Roar says. It's like people get all uh, willy-nilly and wide-eyed and kind of freaked out when we start talking about personal experience of God and how that leads us into truth. He says, but people lead with their own experience anyway. To deny it doesn't make it untrue. We really do. We listen to teachers, we read the scripture, and we form our own ideas, right? Experience truly does lead the way whether we accept it or not. You're not riding a unicycle of truth. It's not just you and the Bible. If it's you and the Bible, are you living in the wilderness with, with the text? And are you isolated from God himself? You know? Like, no, you're not. You, you didn't grow up reading the Bible from the womb and coming up with interpretations on your own. Someone taught you to read, you know, how to read, period. Someone taught you Bible stories. You've, been, you've grown up and you've been taught. Don't d- discount that there's a lot at play when it comes to our understanding of Scripture. It's not just you and the Bible. It's you, the Bible, tradition, and experience. And experience truly is God leading us in the process, and that's important because the Word of God is a person. Truth is a person. Even though we know Scripture is God-breathed, it should point us to the fact not to the thing that was breathed, but to the one who breathed it, right? It should be pointing us to know God. That's exactly what Scripture says we need to do. I, you know, the reason that I'm here, and I think, that's, I think it's important to say the reason that I'm here, the reason that I've come to know God is because I started reading my Bible. And I've continued reading my Bible. But my other point is that it's that what the Bible means to me has changed throughout my life. Because my journey has been an upward journey of growing closer and closer to God. The Bible has been a faithful companion, a light. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It's been a light to illuminate the path. Where is the path going? The light isn't the destination. The Bible is our light that lights a path. Where is the path leading? The path is leading us to God. The lamp isn't the destination. The path isn't the destination. The destination is God. Like, I think if you just think it's, it's the Bible and that's it, and you have a relationship with the Bible, it's like you're just sitting around a lamp. You've almost, like Jesus said, uh, uh, don't hide it under a bushel. Put it up on a pedestal. Let it illuminate the whole room. Like it's meant, a light is meant to light the way. A light is meant to illuminate things. So it's not the light itself. In fact, that's pretty cool. The purpose of a light isn't to look at the light. The purpose of the light is to illuminate things around you so you can see better. Right? So you can see the path, so you can see the room. The Bible illuminates things for us so we can see And what does it illuminate? It illuminates God and who God is and God's character so we can see God for ourselves. That's the purpose of the Bible. I want to jump over to... 
that. Another John 5. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I've already referenced this, but... Hmm. Oh. Sorry, I'm trying to... <laughs> I was thinking I was in John chapter 1. Hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is the this is interesting. So the first passage talks about Scripture being God-breathed, right? And, and uh, you know, if, we, if we're going to be super literal, what Paul's referencing when he says Scripture, he's referencing the Old Testament, right? He's not talking about the New. The New Testament didn't exist then. The New Testament wasn't really compiled and consolidated till I think, we think, 3rd century. Like these letters that were written. These letters, the, the Jews in the, in the first three centuries of Christians would have viewed letters more like commentaries expounding scripture but um, it was adopted into our Bible the Christian Bible because these are kind of like our, our founding documents right? because they illuminated more clearly the life of Christ and um, his gospel message Paul, Peter, John James all these, all these, you know, people who knew, uh, who knew Jesus, illuminated his life, and that's what we call the New Testament. But, but when it says all scriptures God breathed, in Second Timothy, that's referring to the Old Testament. That was their scripture. That was their sacred text. They didn't consider the letters sacred. In fact, when that was written, most of those letters, you know, not not all of those were even. In existence, and they were just circulated around. They were copied sometimes, but when they the scripture they had would have been the Old Testament. My point is, we understand that God's word is living and active, and we have come to see the New Testament as scripture because we we have a dynamic understanding of scripture as a person, living and active, not a text. If we were going to be really literal with sacred text we would not have included any of the new testament in our bibles we would have said no 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 we're just going to go with what god said in the past that's our sacred scripture we're kind of not going to include these new these new writings are just kind of you know illuminating scripture but so to some degree we've been able to understand that god continues to speak new words but we've gotten stuck thinking those new words have ended with the book of Revelation. We need to continue the process which continued, which gave us our New Testament, which is that God's words are still being breathed into the world. Jesus says this to the Pharisees. This is really interesting. So he's talking about, I might back up. He's, he's talking about himself as the Logos, right? He's the Word. He's the truth. So he's talking about the, this to the Pharisees are, who are basically taking a very, a very um, conservative, you could say, approach towards the sacred text, right? They've got Mo- the Law of Moses. They have the Scripture. And Jesus is coming before them, and he's actually illuminating new truth. And they're saying, no, 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 this doesn't line up with God's truth. And you can't do that. Jesus is a living, is showing that God is a living word, and they're saying, no, it's not. It's a dead word. It's a, it's a book that was given once, and we don't deviate from it. We can't, 
God doesn't isn't giving new words. He's already given this word once. And so this is the, really the argument. He says, um, let me back up a bit. Here we go. I'll just start with 31. This is John chapter 5, verse 31. If I testify about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who testifies in my favor, and I know that his testimony about me is true. You have sent to John, and he has testified to the truth, not that I accept human testimony. I thought that was interesting. What is scripture? It's human testimony, right? It's a testament. We call it the New Testament, the Old Testament. Jesus says, I don't accept human testimony. That's, you know what he's saying? I don't accept scripture. He's not saying that scripture isn't God-breathed. He's saying that it's not the authority. And we'll get to this. So he says, not that I accept human testimony, but I mention it in I mention it that you might be saved. He's like, I don't accept it. It's not the authority of God, but I'm I'm going to use it because it's helpful. It might point you to the truth that can save you. So then verse 35. John was a lamp that burned and gave light. Here we go, light. And you chose for a time to enjoy his light. I have testimony weightier than that of John for the works that the Father has given me to finish. The very works that I am doing testify that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. You have never heard his voice nor seen his form, nor does, he, nor does his word dwell in you. Ooh. For you do not believe the one he has sent. You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Oh, man, Jesus, you're dang. There is so much in here. Whew. He's just nailing the Pharisees. Why? Because they think their sacred text is more important than the word of God. Did you catch that? Listen to this. He's saying, look, I have the authority of the Father to speak truth. I am truth. And he, then he says, you've never heard the voice of God or seen him. And then he says, and his word does not dwell in you. His, his word. They had God's words. They didn't have God's word. Do you catch the difference? Jesus, this, is, this should be very very startling for us. This should, be, this should make us stop, sit up, and pay attention. Jesus is saying, you have the words of God, but not the word of God. What? There's a difference. There's a difference between having the word of God and the words of God. You can have the, and this is exactly what Jesus says, you can have the words of God, but not the word of God. And if, but if you don't have the word of God, if you don't know how to hear God, guess what? You're going to miss God. He's talking to Pharisees who are Jesus, you know, Jesus is the word standing before the most knowledgeable people. You know, the most the people the most knowledgeable in scripture and they don't recognize God, the word. They have the words but they can't see the word. They can't see the forest for the trees. They can't see the truth for the words. They can't see God for the past they can't see past the book to the God of the book. They have the words but not the word and Jesus says, "These are the words that give testimony about me but you refuse to believe the word the truth what's important the words of God or God of the word the words of God or God of the word God is the word Jesus is the word Jesus is saying he's saying I am the testimony 
We have the testament and the testimony. We have the New Testament, but we also need the God testimony, which is in us, which means we know how to hear God. He said that. He says, I don't accept human testimony. It doesn't matter the fact that humans have said, have even testified to truth, to God's truth. What matters is God's truth. There's a difference. The testimony of others can point us to God. The Bible is a good picture book to help us know God, but knowing God and His truth is different than knowing words in a book. The words in the book help us to know the word in the world. <laughs> Isn't that cool? Words in a book should lead us to know the word, capital, capital W, in the world. God is living and active in the world. He's working today as He was in Jesus' day. He's alive. He's active, and he invites us to participate with him and his active and continuing work. The Bible helps us to come to know God for ourselves. Jesus says, I don't accept human testimony. All scripture is God-breathed. All scripture is human testimony. But Jesus said, that does, that's not the authority of truth. I am. I have the words of life. And you can know all the words in your sacred text, but fail to recognize God himself. And if that's the case, you can end up denying God and using scripture to do it. That's what Jesus is telling them, and that's what I'm saying to you. You can't just know words in a book and your own interpretation. You have to experience God in the world. God is the word in the world. God is living and active. Jesus, he's, he nails it, man. He's nailing these people. And guess what? They nailed him to a tree because they couldn't do what he's saying, what we need to do. They couldn't recognize God, even though they had the testimony of God, the testimony about God through others. It didn't lead them to know God. And so they killed God in the name of God because they valued the words of God more than the word of God. <laughs> he says, These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Mm. Like, who are we going to for life? A, words in a book? That's not life. Dead words in a book. Living word in the world. That's God. Isn't that cool? I mean, Jesus makes it really clear. And, you know, you have to look at yourself. You have to evaluate your own relationship with God. Is your relationship with God just a relationship with words in a book? Or is God living and active? And are you coming to know God through those words? That's the point of the Bible. The point of the Bible is you can know all the scriptures but not know God because there's a difference because the Bible is not the Word of God. God is the Word. Jesus is the Word. The Holy Spirit is the living Word. It's living, which means we come to live with it, which is why we need the Holy Spirit, which is why Jesus said the Spirit will lead you into all truth. The Spirit. Not your pastor, not your theologian, not the Bible, not your traditions. We need, just like in, in 2 Timothy, we need, <clears throat> we need Scripture. We need human teachers. But we need God also leading the way, the big wheel in the front of the tricycle. 
so important to have all three with it doesn't devalue like we you know here's the thing it doesn't devalue the importance of scripture it doesn't devalue the importance of teachers human teachers but the big will in the front is god himself leading us takes all three wheels you can't you can't just be like, I'm going to throw scripture, the Bible out. I'm not going to have any sacred text. I'm not going to have any wisdom from people who knew God in the past. I'm just, and I'm just going to go with my experience. That's a unicycle as well, right? You can turn the big wheel into a unicycle and just say, no, I'm just going to sit and experience God and, and whatever pops in my mind. That's truth, you know? We have an enemy, too, who is purporting truth. We have a world full of all kinds of truths. We need, again, we need a living and active God involved in our truth-seeking. But we have to also learn what God is like and who God is. And that's what sacred scriptures and sacred traditions do for us. They train us, like First Timothy says, they train and teach us and equip us. For what? What's the purpose of the lamp and the path? To lead us to know God. That's the purpose. I've I have done what the Bible taught me to do. Like <clears throat> let me jump over and check my time real quick because I'm not sure where I'm at. I'm I'm getting close. I was raised a conservative Christian. I was raised in the Stone Campbell Restoration Movement, as non-denominational churches of Christ, Christian churches. I was raised to value scripture. I was taught to to read scripture. I, I read scripture. But as I began to read scripture, I began to read. This is what changed my, my, the course of my Christian journey. I started reading scripture, really, really dedicated to reading scripture. I read every day, over and over. I read even the boring parts in Leviticus and Numbers, so-and-so begets so-and-so. I read and I read and I read. And when I, what I read was that I was supposed to know God and that God is the Word and that the Holy Spirit is living truth, active piercing like piercing means that <clears throat> cutting into me cutting things away refining Jesus says I am the vine you are the branches abide in me and I in you apart from me you can do nothing me Jesus doesn't say apart from scripture he doesn't apart from the written words we know the words are true John says I have testified to the truth <clears throat> We can trust the testimony, but the testimony is not the authority. It's not the power to transform us. That is God himself. Like, I was raised to be a conservative Christian, to believe the Bible was the word. So I read the Bible, but the Bible told me the Bible wasn't the word. And so I, I wanted to know the word. And it has led me on a long journey. I never stopped reading the Bible. I don't stop. But I, what's happened is the Bible went from the source. The Bible went from the Word of God to the words. And the Bible led me to the Word of God. I've been faithful to read my Bible. It's important. It's so important. But we have to understand it's a light for a path. And where is the path leading? We need the light. Don't stumble in the darkness. You won't even be on the path. The light shows the path. The path shows the way. The light is, the, is scripture, that one wheel, one back wheel. The path is tradition, people that have gone before us and, and even Christ who's gone before us. We have the testimony, but the path leads to a place. That place is knowing God. 
John, and, and I think it's First John, he says, By now you need no one to teach you because the anointing you received is real and it teaches you all things. Like, the point is the anointing. The point is that we are immersed in God. And, and as we read the Bible, as we listen to teachers, wise elders, theologians, spiritual leaders and directors, as we listen to all these, we, we walk the path, and we, but we begin to become wise elders ourselves. We begin to, to get the breath breathed through us, that breathed scripture. We, we follow the process, the same process that all the, that breathed scripture. As, as God's truth gets breathed through us by God's presence. The light, the path, the wheels, they all lead to one place, God, to knowing God, hearing God. <sighs> Scripture teaches us that we are supposed to know God and hear God. That's what it says. It teaches, also teaches us how. That's why it's there. That's the end goal. That's what Scripture says. Scripture doesn't say you just need Scripture. <laughs> scripture says you need to come to know God because God is the Word. The words should lead us to the Word. They shouldn't become the Word for us. In the beginning was the Word. I'm going to jump over there real quick because I have this looked up too. I'll just... In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jumping to verse 9. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through Him, the world did not recognize Him. He came, to a, he came to that which was his own, but yet his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Look, again, John says, I was reading John chapter, John chapter 5 when Jesus is saying, you look to Scripture uh, and you deny me, but the Scripture testifies about me. John says, he came to that which was his own. He came to his own, but his own did not receive him. The Word came to the people who knew the words, but the people who knew the words didn't recognize the Word. <laughs> Don't just know the words. Know the Word. Know the difference. Let the words lead you to the word. But the truth is the words can keep us from the word when we don't understand the point and purpose. The Bible is not the word of God. The Bible leads us to the word. The Bible is the words of God which lead us to the word of God. But they can keep us from the word when we think they are the word. That's the point. The Bible is so important to teach us to know God. But do you understand they're meant to teach us to know God? That's the point of Scripture. That's the place. Put Scripture in its place. You don't get rid of Scripture. Scripture is so valuable. It's a sacred text. But if you don't know the purpose, you can make Scripture your, the Word instead of just the words. You can make Scripture your God. You can make Scripture, and Scripture can keep you from seeing God. He can keep you from God. John chapter 5, John chapter 1, that's what they say. Jesus came, the Word. And the people who knew the words 
didn't recognize the word. Man, that's a, that is a stark and startling accusation. That's a stark, stark and startling truth. The words can keep us from the word. If we don't understand that the words are meant to lead us to the word. That's my challenge to you. My first challenge would be read the words. <laughs> Man, that's if I hadn't read the words, I wouldn't have come to know the word. It's so important. Read your scriptures every day. Don't take, like if, you know, if you're just listening to what other people say, you have, you're, again, you're writing the unicycle. You've got tradition. You've got teachings and teachers. Read it for yourself. Don't just take other people's word, words for it, right? There's all kinds of words. There's scripture, the word. There's the words of scripture. There's the words of your spiritual teachers. And then there's the word of God. And you can experience, that you can experience for yourself. That's the big front wheel. Don't just take words, but let, the, let words lead you to the word. Read scripture, man. I challenge you. Read scripture every day. Be in the words so you can get to the word. <laughs> word up. <laughs> word to my mother. Word to my brother. It's the word that matters, not the words, all right? But, but the words matter too. The words have a place. <clears throat> Take the time to know the words and let them lead you to the word. That's my challenge. Man, read scripture over and over. Read scripture for the rest of your life. Don't stop reading scripture, but don't mistake. Don't forget the scripture is meant to lead you to God. The words to the word. That's my challenge. Scriptures, it's important. Listen. Listen to what God has said in the past through others. Listen to what God's saying in the present through others. And then learn how to listen to God and what God would say to you. Man, it's good. Come to know God for yourself. That's how, that's, that's how you begin. That's a really good beginning. You want to he- learn to hear God now for yourself? Start to read how God was heard by others in the past and how, God, how, how others hear God today, right? Not just scripture, but read books by people who know God. Your pastor hopefully knows God. Someone in your church hopefully knows God. Like, listen to their words too. But let all of these things lead you to the word, to know God for yourself. That's how you start to begin to hear God for yourself, when you let these things lead you and teach you. All right, man, I love you guys. This has been a Construction Monk podcast. I'm your host, Jay Randall Ori. I appreciate you guys listening. Uh, you can catch more content by Googling Jay Randall Ori or by going to my website at www.moderncontemplative.com. Uh, I've said this before. I've got two books coming out. You can check out my YouTube channel at Jay Randall Ori. All that stuff's there. It's good. I love you guys, man. I want you to know God for yourself. There's nothing like it. Don't settle for words. Know the word. Love you. Bye.